Before we jump in, I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's podcast. Don't be limited by networks when it comes to choosing your healthcare provider. There is another way. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a member, you'll have a biblical, affordable way to pay your medical needs where you're free to choose from the doctors, the treatments, and the hospitals that are best for you and your family when and where you need them. After care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. Members also have access to an online community of support and health resources to help keep medical bills and prescription costs low through discounts and fair pricing. Healthcare freedom can be yours today. You can see how by going to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Dave, I am really excited about having this conversation with you, man. I know some people are going to like see the title of this or they're going to get one minute into this conversation and be like, what in the world? Did I turn on the wrong podcast? Like, what <laughs> is, Why am I listening to this? What, are, what am I even listening to? But before we get into all that fun stuff, maybe just tell us sure. who you are and what you're up to yeah. these days. Sure thing, Joe. Yeah, really thrilled to be on the podcast. And uh, I think what you're doing is great. My name is Dave Gobert. I'm the lead pastor of Highfields Church in Cardiff, uh, Wales, UK. Yeah, I've been here for about nine years. I'm married. I've got four kids between the ages of 14 and uh, six. So a podcast called Dad Tired. I'm like, that's fantastic. We're a Bible-centered, evangelical church, loves preaching the gospel. We've got a ton of students who come to our church. City center, lots of young families, older Mm. families, internationals. So a real mixed bag, but love proclaiming Christ and seeking to kind of push the gospel into every single area of our lives, which I guess is our calling. I love that. I love that. So when you set that up, that introduction, yeah. then guys are going to hear like, okay, why are we talking about the environment, dude? Like what, out of all <laughs> things that we could be talking about, yes. we're talking about the gospel. Yeah. Uh, why are we talking about the environment? And what's interesting is if anyone has watched the news, there's been two things, actually, I think in your neck of the woods <laughs> as of this week that have hit, come over and hit our news streams, which is one, the young adults who threw the tomato soup all over the Van Gogh painting in protest of all things climate. Um, and then I think we had another one where they were pouring out all the milk in the grocery stores. Yeah. So we need to get rid of all the animal products and we need to uh, take seriously our environment or we're all going to die. So that's kind of, mm. that was the, these uh, their position. So I guess this is kind of front of mind. Here's why I want to have this conversation yeah. to start us off. For a lot of us, we're going to be like, okay, that's just crazy. It's, we don't even want to have the conversation because we see these things on the news and it's like, dude, you're just being crazy. I don't even want to talk to you about it because you're just so crazy. We're probably going to be nuked here pretty soon. The world's going to end. I'm just going to go be with Jesus. I'm not going to really worry about this stuff. There's two reasons I want to have this conversation. I know I'm being long-winded here. Number one is I want to see myself and I think all of our listeners at the heart, we do want to see ourselves as missionaries, ambassadors to a world. God has called us to be ambassadors here on mission to see the glory of God proclaimed to every end of every nation. And so we can't just say, well, that's crazy. See you later. I know that's really important to you, Mr. Non, Mrs. Non-Christian, but that's not important to me. So I'm not going to have a conversation. Two, the second reason is this will be an issue that a lot of our kids become passionate about or their friends become very passionate about and tell them, hey, how come you're not passionate about this? And so, again, as dads who want to be gospel-centered and raise our kids to be sent ones into a world that needs the redemptive work of the gospel, I think it's important for us to like engage in these conversations and then disciple our kids to know how to engage in these conversations. So all that to say, why in the world did you write a book on the environment? 
Okay, so a few disclaimers. I'm not a scientist, although I did study engineering many, many moons ago. But I'm not a uh, climate warrior. I think those young people, honestly, uh, the the great contribution that the UK have made to the discussion in the last few days is kind of throwing... (laughs) tin soup on a Van Gogh painting. Seriously, guys. Yeah, that's not me. I'm not a green voter. Historically, that's, that's kind of not where I cut. I'm not a kind of left or center guy. I'm a Bible evangelical conservative, evangelical Christian with a Bible in my hand, seeking to engage our people in life in the 21st century. It started actually with a conversation with a couple of young adults. We have a ton of them in our church who are talking to us about single-use plastic and you know coffee cups that we're serving our drinks in. Okay. And they said, oh, do you think we might? I think it was soon after COVID, and we were still you know, throwing everything away and you know, making tons of recycling, et cetera. And they're like, oh, can we go back to the nice coffee cups, which we wash up rather than the disposable stuff? Because, like, environment. And I was like, that's a lot of effort, you know, because it's so much easier to throw it away. But they said, but, you know, we need to think about this as a Christian, don't we? And I was like, I guess we do. You know, we want to think about everything as a Christian. We need to think God's thoughts after him, take every thought captive to the word of God and not just leave some spaces where Christians haven't commented. I think historically, often Bible Christians are a little bit slow off the marks when Mm. thinking about the big cultural issues. And then we wake up when the horse bolted 20 years ago. We think and we kind of get into a, a stress about issues here in the UK, just as the same as North America, whether it's kind of gender, confusion, sexuality, same-sex marriage, et cetera. And we kind of get into a big kind of, this is a huge issue. It is, but it was an issue you know, 30 years ago. And we were there kind of retreating away from that, doing our pietistic Bible studies and having lovely times of worship. Great, though they were, but did we really take every thought captive at that point? And the battle was raging in a different place. And so I think it's it behoves us as Christians to fight where the battle most rages. And one of the reasons that I, I really thought, let's kind of think about this, is that, if you think about some of those other issues I've just mentioned, like the gender question, like the sexuality question, like you know, the identity question, if you want to hold an orthodox biblical position on those issues, sooner or later, if, if A, you're going to take real courage to keep holding on to it in the face and in the teeth of a culture that is against us. So holding them takes courage, but announcing them in our culture takes real courage to actually yeah. kind of stick your hand up amongst the dads at the school gate or when you're you know out chatting with friends watching your kids play sport and you say oh by the way i don't think you can redefine yourself how you want like that is go for it man but that's hard to do okay mm-hmm. really hard to do to kind of admit to being on the wrong side of history in all those kind of hot topic cultural issues yeah. yet on the environment the fact is i think we can cut along the grain with our culture for a lot further before we kind of cut in against the grain of the culture. And by that, I simply mean the Bible has a ton of stuff to say on the environment, okay? A lot of stuff to say about our bodies, about sexuality, about gender, of course. But what it says, it's very often quite kind of confrontational to our secular, God-hating culture. Yes, it's true that extreme kind of extinction rebellion or these kind of crazy protesters are doing mad things, gluing themselves to motorways, etc., but let's not assume they're the only people who can engage with the environment. I think in the book, I explained that there's one of two dangers that we can naturally kind of move between. We either kind of are on the, what you might call the the kind of panicked response to the environment. And that's much like those Extinction Rebellion guys. It's a bit like the, the movie Don't Look Up, if you saw that, you know, yeah. where it's like yeah, I was going to crazy. That. Yeah. So that's one response. But the other response is the passive response, which is like, the, oh, I don't really care about this. Well, 
I don't really care about it should ever be a response by a Christian in God's world that he has made and that he actually speaks a lot about in his book. So that's why I wrote the book. We don't need a panicked response, but not a passive. I would say a prudent response, which is somewhere in the middle, which is why I wrote the book. And I was going to bring up that the movie and that kind of that spectrum. So what is that response? You know, as somebody, we got a lot of dads who are listening to the show and are like, this isn't maybe an issue I've put a lot of thought in, but I want to be a man who thinks through everything through the lens of the gospel. Like, so where am I supposed to fall on this? And and what do the scriptures say about this? Well, so in the book, I I do a kind of classic walkthrough of the whole of the scriptures from from creation, fall, the creation of humanity, redemption that's found in Christ, and then the new creation, and just kind of see how the story of of God's plan for the world rolls through that. And guess what? The, The Bible actually speaks quite a lot into this. It's not silent on the topic. I guess for me, it really began with a bit of a kind of mental conversation I had, which was imagining someone saying to me, but Dave, like surely the only thing that really matters is evangelism or gospel proclamation. There's a world out there that's dying and needs Christ. And we need to go tell them how to get to the lifeboat before it sinks. It's kind of like Titanic territory, right? And the environment is a bit like worrying about the violins being played on the Titanic or the paintwork on the Titanic is peeling off. Let's go around painting it up and making sure we conserve the quality. Like it's going down, guys. Right. Get to the lifeboat you know, mentality. Now, I say that as a, bit, a kind of thought experiment, partly because I've I've heard people say that, literally, mm-hmm. and partly because I've said it myself, <laughs> literally, and thought it myself. And I was like, okay, so how do I engage with that? And then I thought, well, there's an interesting thought experiment because we don't need to imagine the world you know, about to kind of go down and a call to get to the lifeboat. Because biblically speaking, that's exactly what has happened sometime in the history of, of God's dealing with, with the world, i.e. the flood, right? right. So Genesis 6 to 8, there was a time where a great catastrophe was coming. It wasn't a meteorite coming to kind of destroy the world or a kind of nuclear bomb. It was a worldwide flood, which God was going to send to judge the world, okay? And so he tells Noah to go and build a boat and to uh, in order for salvation to be provided. But then I suddenly thought, if God is only concerned about getting people into the lifeboat and uh, saving souls for eternity, which he absolutely is concerned about, massively so, it's got to be a a top priority for Christians, of course, don't want to undermine that. If all he's concerned about is kind of individual souls being saved for eternity, why was the ark so big? Right, right. Like, you could have a dinghy, an eight-seater dinghy, with Mr. and Mrs. Noah, their three kids, and their three wives all like snug in their little boat waiting (laughs) for redemption and the rainbow and i'll never flood the earth again and hooray but he makes an enormous ark that can hold elephants and saber-toothed tigers and red pandas and giraffes and and the rest of it you think huh what's that about which is just a kind of little kind of cameo And, and by the way that illustration of the ark as a metaphor for what God's going to do in terms of salvation. He picks up of that in, a, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and talks about the world of its day being destroyed. And, and so sometimes people go to that passage if we want to kind of zoom to the end of the Bible and say, oh, look, but the world's going to be destroyed anyway one day. So like, who cares about the painting? The well, actually, in 2 Peter, it describes the judgment that will come in the future, the second coming of Christ, as an analogy, as kind of analogously from the, the flood narrative. And uh, Peter says that the world of that day was destroyed in the same way. So our present world is going to be destroyed. Yeah. But if you dig into the initial flood narrative, the world wasn't destroyed. It was just flooded. It was kind of purged. The, the bad was washed. And the same world came through the other side renewed. And, and I, I would argue that 
from a lot of different kind of biblical texts, the idea of kind of the world being kind of destroyed or zapped or annihilated, kind of got great conflagration at the end of time. I just don't think that is how the New Testament imagines or Mm. pictures the new creation. But I'm jumping ahead of ourselves. We can dig into it a little bit more. But Well, no, that's super fascinating because I think that's going to be most people... You know, most guys listen to this, they're working their jobs, they're they're trying to pay the bills and, you know, be a dad and be a husband. So, again, this kind of new world theology may not be something they feel really versed in. And, yeah. and we don't talk yeah. about it a lot in church. I would be curious to hear theologically, and, and when you're going through the scriptures, what is the proper theology? Like, okay, if it's not going to be blown up and then God, like, creates a new one, what is it? What are yeah. your thoughts on it? Sure thing. Well, I suppose kind of disclosure at the start yeah we don't have a whole load of biblical material on this we have some we don't have nothing but it's a little bit like archaeology where we kind of find a bit of a bone here and a tooth here and another kind of bit of skull here and i say there you go there's a t-rex and you're like you've made you've done a lot with a little well we've got to do we've got to do what we can with what we got okay what we've got is the language of yeah, well, new creation. Yeah, so that's interesting. It's not kind of so we th- think of heaven as being the destiny of all of humanity. It's a kind of floaty. Our bodies go into the ground. Our spirits float off, and that—that's the future. Actually, the New Testament seems far more concerned about the embodied physical world that is the promise of all those who know and love Christ. Who, after our bodies go into so, so it seems that the best way of understanding the future of, of individuals is that when they die, their body, if they're loving Christ, their body's going to the ground, spirit goes to be with Jesus, and is unclothed at that point, according to 2 Corinthians 5. They're kind of naked without the tent of the body has been taken away, but they're longing to be clothed, reclothed. And that happens at the return of Christ, where all those who've died in Christ, their bodies are raised again, and uh, they're reunited with their spirits, and in a new resurrection body, enjoy life in the new creation okay in a very physical way so that's one point i guess the second point i want to add is that how do we understand what will happen to the the physical world well a good template and according to 1 corinthians 15 is to look at jesus christ what happens to jesus is a really good kind of template and paradigm of what we can expect for his people and his world and so what happened to jesus is that he went he died physically nails pierced side etc went into the grave and then three days later came out the other side he, he didn't get annihilated on the cross, didn't get zapped or nuked. He he died, and uh, his scars you know, bear his death, clearly, as, as he shows Thomas. But it's that Jesus, that real Jesus, who comes out three days later from the grave, and animated and resurrected and spiritually empowered, according to the language of 1 Corinthians 15, but the same Jesus, okay? And it seems that Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 is that as with Jesus, so with his people and his world. So we'll, we'll be sown in in dishonor will be raised in glory okay and so i think there's every reason to suggest that rather than the world being zapped and nuked it will go through its own kind of death and resurrection experience just like its savior hey guys hope you're enjoying this interview so far i just want to take a quick minute and thank my friends over at loam for sponsoring today's episode one of the things i hear most often from the guys in our dad tired community is that they want to lead their family well and yet they feel completely overwhelmed by the amount of things that hit their family calendar and their schedule each week whether it's work or school or sports or extracurricular activities there seems to be very little room left at the end of the week for some intentionality and everything starts to feel chaotic and exhausting i know many of you know exactly what i'm talking about so i love what loam has created through their digital family organizer you can think of this as your family's personal assistant, keeping everyone on track from everything from calendars to meal planning to intentional dinnertime conversations and a ton more. 
You can toss out your old cork board or whatever disorganized whiteboard you got up on your wall. You can trade it in for your beautifully designed digital organizer that the whole family can use. My favorite part about Loam is that it was created by two Christian dads who happen to be dad tired listeners and totally understand the realities that all of us dads are facing. There's way too many features for me to list here, so make sure to go over to withloam.com forward slash dad tired to sign up for a forever free account. Again, that's with Loam, L-O-M-E forward slash dad tired to sign up for a forever free account today. I moved across the country this year and I moved from Oregon to South Carolina. In Oregon, wow. I just saw an ad. You know, it's midterm elections coming up, so there's a lot of campaigning and ads going on. And one of the campaign ads back in Oregon was there was a pile. Of, this is, sounds so silly, but there's a there was a pile of cocaine on a table, and somebody <laughs> somebody using a straw to consume the cocaine. Okay. And they said, "What is illegal? What part of this is illegal in Oregon?" And the point was the plastic straw. <laughs> <laughs> the, the hard, which I thought was a clever kid. That's but very good. The, the, the hard it. drugs are no longer illegal, but the, the plastic straw was. So I say all that because, yeah. okay, so <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> that might have not been the right analogy or the right example to use. But let's just Where say- Where are you going with this, man? <laughs> let's just say that, okay, the world is not going to be destroyed. God's going to make take what is and make it new. So what does that mean for me as a Christian dad trying to raise kids and, and love my, like, do I just not use plastic straws anymore? Like, it, yeah, like <laughs> well, we've kind of gone a long way so far. We've, we've, we, in a sense, I, I've uh, not, I've kind of jumped to the finishing line and we, there's a whole story that you might kind of look at earlier on, actually. So we will come onto that, Joe, I promise. But um, I, I suppose the reason why I would say it's good to think about where the end of the story goes is because the nature of the story that is told before then. Okay, so if you think of kind of Romans 8 being, uh, you know, so we're going to get a bit heady, a bit theological, but I promise we will kind of push into, you know, what about being a dad and straws? Yeah, okay, so, yeah. but we, we do need to kind of go up a level yeah, before we kind of crash Yeah. So, upper level, Romans 8, yeah, the creation is groaning in expectation, waiting to be liberated from the bondage of decay that it was, that's been kind of groaning in since it was cursed. And that, that's kind of referring to, of course, Genesis 3 language and the, the curse on all of humanity and all of creation since the fall, okay? And so the liberation of, of, of creation from its bondage to decay and being brought into the glorious stream of the children of God, that's what creation is longing for. So we shouldn't be surprised if we see a renewing taking place at the end of history, okay? So that's creation as it is right now. But even if we kind of work back up the story through the, the kind of epochs or the kind of the stage of salvation history, we, we see, you know, God, God creating a world which he says is good. And uh, we see him uh, creating human beings to look after and steward his creation well under his rule. We see him actually being extremely concerned about the way human beings treat his creation. Yeah, they're concerned about he's concerned about how they treat him and each other, but even how they how they care for the world. And you know, he, we're told he grieves over the, the physical state of his world, not just the kind of the spiritual state of individuals, but of, over his world. And so when I know we think of issues like you know, great you know, deforestation, or we think of kind of conservation. We we see the kind of the images of what takes place with the the Great Barrier Reef and the kind of the huge huge amounts of wildlife that is just kind of animal going extinct. You think is that a kind of neutral thing? Is that does it does, is God carefree about that? Now I'm not at that point claiming that's due to in the book. I, I don't particularly make a position on the causes of 
quote unquote climate change. Yeah, I, I think that's up for grabs. Potentially, or people can debate that all they like. And I'm not, I'm not kind of saying it's precisely A then B. Yeah, we've done this, therefore this has happened there. Though in the grand scheme of things, we've turned our back on God. So guess what? This world is going to become increasingly you know, broken and and fractured, etc., etc., etc. So, I guess I would say if we've got if human beings called to serve God underneath His world, then part of that is being a good steward, isn't it? If you think of the parable of of the talents, where you have um, Jesus talking about the the servant who gives something to his people and goes away and says, "Look after this. I'll be back and see how you how you care for it." It's almost as if he's he's given us his world and said, "Look, you know, what are you going to do with it? Are we going to just ignore the world that we've been given? You know, we will be held to an account for what we've been given." That applies to everything: spiritual gifts. It applies to finances. It applies to what you do with your life. And I think it applies to how we use something that doesn't belong to us. Ultimately, we are, mm. yeah, I think that I suppose is, is a, a simple take home lesson for the dad is that you do not own this thing. We've been loaned this. <laughs> we're not, we're you know, in the same way that someone, you know, I know the guy who invents the Dyson, James Dyson, one of our best British exports, the amazing vacuum cleaners. You know, he, I used, he owns one, I used the, one 20 minutes ago. My, my mother-in-law gifted us one and I'm so wow. Yeah. yeah. The cordless one, the cordless yeah, one. The cordless which, one. It's a gift to every dad. Sweet. Yeah. They're yeah. so fun. Like our kids want to do <laughs> vacuuming because it's using that one, right? <laughs> he owns the rights to it. We don't, we can't just go in there and just like say, actually, we're going to tweak around, play with it, you know, misuse it. No, we don't misuse something that we don't own the intellectual property of the world. God mm. does. So under his rule, we care for it and cut along the grain that it was designed to be useful. Mm. So that's really well said. It's an interesting perspective. You know, as you were sharing that, I was thinking we just moved into this home. We live in a development where they're they're just throwing up homes, you know, scary fast. <laughs> You're like, why why are these houses built so fast? But they just take this plot of dirt and they throw a house on it and they they kind of give you the bottom of the barrel grass and plants that they can find, whatever's cheap and on sale that day at the at the nursery they put in all these plants here and we decided we want to take these plants and replace them with something more beautiful, something that has more color and would liven up our yard. And there's really like, why would you do that? Really? When you think about like, why, why do that? Well, it's because you, you want to take something that, that was dirt essentially and redeem it to -hmm. make it beautiful. And, and even in that, you know, there, there's a lot of like, Tish Warren, I, I forget her name, but she wrote a book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, where it's these little, okay. these little ways that we're seeing the gospel. Like when I make my bed, uh, yeah. and I, t- I use this with my kids all the time. Yeah. I, we, I tell them, you make your bed, but you're taking something that's messy and you make it beautiful. Hmm. And it's a reminder. Chaos. Yeah. And it's a reminder. This is what God does for us. He takes messy hmm. things and he redeems them to make them beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. so I think sometimes, and, and I get caught in this where I'm, when I think of like, the environment and climate and you get so it feels so big and overwhelming. It's like, I don't know how yeah. to stop all the factories in America and in China and India yeah. to like make our, the iceberg stop melting. I don't know, you know, like what to do there, but there yeah. is something it's like, well, but I've been given this little plot of land mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. dirt. And if I care for it, there is something beautiful about this land that yeah. you can turn beautiful. And, and it's a, it's a picture of what's to come. Yeah. That God is, yeah. he's redeeming all things. And even though it's just a couple flowers, it reminds mm. me that God is taking kind of nothing or the mess and he's turning it into something beautiful. And then from that sense, it's mm. almost, it's fun to be part of taking care of God's creation and pointing yeah. the world back to 
what he's going to do one yeah. day. I think that's really good. There's, I don't know if your dads are fans of Andrew Peterson, but he's got in his Bugs and Slugs album a song called God Makes Messy Things Beautiful. If you mm. don't know that song, it's a yeah. fun song. I think that's just right. And I think actually um, you, you've touched on a good point there, which is the kind of pointing to the gospel in it. Because I think that sometimes as evangelical Bible Christians, as I count myself as one, I'm constantly seeking to encourage our church members to proclaim Christ, to speak of Christ, invite friends to church, to read the Bible, you name it, etc., etc. And yet, sometimes at one and the same time, they sometimes may give an impression, like maybe I've done in the past, which is like, yeah, I don't really care about the issues that you care about. <laughs> Mm. And uh, you know, I want you to come onto my space and to uh, you know, do my kind of thing. But actually, you are really concerned about this. And I can either say, ah, come on, don't be so ridiculous. Or I can actually, I don't know, for example, go be involved in a litter pick in a community, right? Yeah, that's just like, what's that doing? That's, or joining a kind of conservation group, which is working on a particular kind of wildlife that is getting extinct in an area. But, you know, is that a neutral thing? Well, it's, you think that's nothing to do with the gospel. Well, you're getting involved in it. I, I One of the other things I say in the book is that God does use creation to testify to himself, doesn't he? Mm. Romans 1, Psalm 19, which means, and not just, I think there's a fantastic book called The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson, where he talks about how, all of this world is pointing to God in different kinds of ways, whether you're yeah. talking lions or mountains or dust or viruses. And the fact is, you know, God calls himself a lion in equivalent uh, of the Lion of Judah. He calls himself the lion who roars in the book of Amos. If lions all got extinct and we never knew the, the idea of a lion anymore, I need to word this carefully because I still you know, obviously hold the sufficiency of scripture, but you know, God created lions and what kind of wants them to exist because they help us understand that he is a lion i.e he's ferocious he roars he's safe uh no he's not safe but he's good yeah the kind of aslan thing from you um but, but, and so there is every reason for us to be concerned that lions don't go extinct because they tell us something about god mm. in the world that god has made on the point about kind of evangelism, is say our friends are, you know, whether they're involved in a litter pick or they're involved in a conservation activity somewhere or they're helping some recycling, all these kind of things. Being in those spaces as Christians who love Jesus, who are Bible people, who are not thinking the world is going to blow up. Because I, I don't, ultimately, God has promised the world, you know, that he, he won't flood the world and he's not going to destroy the world again in the promise he makes after the flood. The language of when Christ returns, he will find people on the earth. You know, he's not going to come back when Christ returns. He's not going to come back to kind of a, a nuclear holocaust. We've wiped each other out. You know, he will find active people who are alive, who are ready to receive him as king. We can kind of get involved in this area, but not in a kind of panicked, obsessive way, as if you know, the kind of David Attenborough language, which he he uses. I don't know if you've come, you know, David Attenborough, he, he makes lots of nature documentaries in the UK. He's in his 90s, and he's an amazing guy who makes these things. And our kids love these. And I, I would encourage dads to, to get their kids into in nature. And you know, it's it's absolutely stunning, beautiful, beautiful uh, world that God has made. But he he very much talks. I think, you know, I, let me get this quote. He says in, um, I, I quote him in the book, and I say that you know, he, he puts kind of everything on human beings. And he, he says the world is going to be, you know, we, we know far more about the world than we ever did and it's going to be destroyed. It's all down to us to to save it type of thing. And it's like, well, we do know far more about the world than we ever did. And it is perhaps changing in all sorts of ways, but it's not down to us to save it. We can confidently know it's in God's hands and we can rest knowing that he's uh, our God. But as we get involved in these spaces, I just think that we can 
give our you know, proclaim the confidence we have in Jesus Christ to the friends. So I, I've t- taught this material on a number of occasions, and people have said to me that they have had loads of great gospel conversations talking about Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, having been involved in the kind of environmental activities because they're around they're surrounded by people who are very socially concerned they're very have a really kind of tender conscience and mm-hmm. genuinely are panicking about this world and right. so to be able to kind of work and walk alongside them picking up litter or you're know, doing some kind of scientific research about conservation or topsoil you know areas or kind of i know nuclear energy or you know there's loads of different kind of spaces we can work and we can give deep confidence that god is He's not going to allow this world to be destroyed. He's holding us to account for how we've used this world. And uh, even though we've mucked up, he comes to us in Christ to offer forgiveness and salvation and the hope of a redeemed, renewed world. I think I've had friends who said gospel conversations have come because people have got involved in that space. And I think that's, that's tremendous, actually. This is a really helpful conversation for me personally. I don't think through this issue very often at all. Like I said at the beginning of our conversation, I see these things on the news. You're, you're putting sure. soup all over thing. I'm just like, it's hard for me to even engage in the conversation because I'm like, hey, well, that, just, yeah. that thought that that actually kind of ironic. It just totally doesn't help anybody. It, it, right. it makes people just kind of walk backwards. To- really. Totally, totally, yeah. One thing that's interesting, and I, I'm always trying to push our family to see ourselves on mission. God has sent us into this neighborhood on mission. Help our listeners see themselves that way. And I, I was just thinking, man. Just the fact that a Christian would show up to one of those things, like, hey, we're going to clean the beach or we're going to go through the forest or go clean up the litter off the this highway or whatever. Just the fact that a Christian would even show up, even if they don't say anything, that probably yeah. would be just huge in itself. Like, oh, what yeah. you're you're a Christian. I didn't think Christians cared about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that that alone is cool. But then you start to add those gospel elements like, no, I, I think God gave us a beautiful earth. I want to contribute to taking care of yeah. it and we're borrowing it and I want to want to steward it well for his glory and it's also giving us a picture of the redemption of what's to come like all that stuff is just 100 and the fact the fact is it may be possible i don't think it is possible for, for a christian you know, in good conscience to be involved in anything alongside a pride march right yeah you know, the, the kind of big campaign you know, it may be that if a church it, you know, the pride march walks past the church you could be outside giving out tracts or wanting to bless them something you could do that but generally speaking you're not gonna be seen in that kind of space but this area, I just think we can be seen. We can be involved because this is our, like, this is home advantage for the Christian. This is yeah. God's world. This is not the secularist world. This is not the Greta Thunberg's world. This is God's world. He got there first. He's given it to us to look after. And so absolutely, we we need to be kind of contrite that maybe we we have been a abuser of that. That's totally plausible to misuse uh, God's world. That's really, really well said. And that's such a good point. I like what you said at the beginning there is like most of the times these conversations are going to end really quickly because we're going to bring up gospel principles or biblical principles, I should say, and the conversation just kind of ends before we can get anywhere. But this is a conversation that Christians can engage in for a long time. And I think we can find a lot of mutual ground with the people around us, our neighbors around us. Man, this is really fun. You know, I don't. The publisher didn't send me a book, so I didn't even get a chance to read it. Oh, dude, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, well, yeah, no, I'm, t- I'm totally kidding. No, that wasn't the reason I say that is because I didn't actually get to hold it and see what it was. But I saw you oh, hold it, and I'm like, I'm that looks like it. a very that looks like a Look, very readable book. Like I can. Get it's like it. it's a microscopic book. It's 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 it is a book, but it could be called a book. Yeah, it's it is definitely books. It's 100 pages. Look, 90. Okay. 95 pages. You could read it in an afternoon, very easy with a study guide at the back. 
And yeah. that's everywhere. Good book company, Amazon. Good book company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can pick up anywhere. Like goodbookcompany.com or .co.uk, you pick up. Or thegoodbook.com or .co.uk, you pick them up. Cheapest yeah, chips. And, and, and get, a, get a ton and, and study in in your church small groups or your, your whatever with your dad's group. I just think it doesn't give loads of answers intentionally. It just gives you a ton of questions to think about and reflect on yourself with the Bible in one hand. I love it. And uh, it's just called The Environment. It's called yeah. The Environment. Exactly. Yeah. It, does, it does exactly what it says. It's <laughs> even got a very, the thing that's funny, it's kind of got, it's like embossed. So you could close your eyes and be hunting around your house with the lights <laughs> off and you find it and you feel a globe and that's it. You got it. Well, as dads, we're constantly trying to find stuff with while being disoriented. That's like a dad. Dude, yeah, that, yeah, that, that helps you find, you locate yourself. I like it, man. Well, I've told this to our audience before, but I'm just, I'm a big fan of the Good Book Company. I really believe that what they're doing and the authors that are producing work over there is just, they're just putting out really good gospel centered stuff. So this is one that even though I haven't read it, I in full confidence can say that I think it's, it's probably going to be wonderful and uh, encourage our guys to go read it. Dave, thank you, man. This has been really hey. fun. I enjoy you taking some time to spend some, some time with us. It means a lot. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. God bless. And uh, I'll make sure I get a copy of this over to you, Jared. You can never look at it for yourself and even hold it and stroke yeah. the front. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Hey guys, hope that episode was helpful for you. would love for you to continue to be part of this conversation. Go to connect.dadtire.com. Join other guys in your area who are continuing to talk about this stuff. Again, connect.dadtire.com. We'll see you over there. Love you guys.